Well, open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. It is a joy to be here uh, with you this morning and be back uh, the last few weeks. It's been great to, to get back to the daily, the day-to-day life and ministry of First Baptist Church. And for those of you that may not know, uh, every so often, every seven years, First Baptist gives the joy of, of giving their staff a few, or a sabbatical. And so I've had the joy of, of spending some weeks away from here. The first part of the sabbatical uh, I was involved of, with some pretty important uh, weddings. Uh, it was, every, every wedding is important, but these were very important this summer. So that was great. So that was the first part of the, of the summer. Um, but the second part, I had the joy of investing and really learning and studying about the life of First Baptist Church. So what, uh, what you may not know, First Baptist has been around since uh, 1845. So that's a lot of years. And we have a room in this church. Uh, it's known as the historical room, archive room. But in that room has documents that are dating back to 1880. And so I've always been interested in that. I think I've shared that with you uh, before. But to have several weeks where I can just dive in um, has been a tremendous blessing. And to give a little, just to summarize, well, what's the the difference between what you did and what you're doing. What, what, what I love doing, along with, um, you know, the elders here and along with many of you, is just pouring over the current membership directory. I love it. I love getting to know people, investing them, um, thinking about them, praying for them, praying for you. What the difference was, I did, I just poured over the, the membership directory of the church a hundred years ago over the last four or five weeks. And I did that so much, I really got to know some people. Like, I found myself reading some minutes in the 1890s and 1900s. And when it brought up this person's name again and again, I started realizing, yeah, that's consistent with who this person is. And so I thought, wow, this is, uh, I've spent a lot of time in here. In fact, my dad called, you know, dad and I talked a lot. We have a little bit more time to do that. He calls me one afternoon and says, hey, Andy, uh, what are you doing? And then he said, oh, wait, are you in the historical room again? And I said, yeah, uh, actually, yes. And he said, well, son, and he paused, says, well, I guess it's better to study than to be studied. And I said, yes, that is true. It is good. It's much better to study. But the reality is I was struck by the brevity of life as I look back on the, just the history First Baptist Church. And so this time away is actually, God has done a great work. It's actually very humbling. One, I was reminded as I, you know, left that ministry happens uh, with or without me. And so every so often I, I would check in on staff or one of the staff members would call and I'd ask, how are things going? Oh, fantastic. It's great. How, how are home fellowships? Oh, they are. At, everything is just about wrapped up. And I was excited for that, but I thought, wow, what, you know, what am I doing here at this church? Everything, they, they did a phenomenal job. But let me tell you, let me just draw you in on this feeling of humility. As I look back at the life of First Baptist over the years, I was also struck by this truth. As innovative as we think we are, as many initiatives that we, are th- that we think we're doing right now, let me tell you, First Baptist Church, by the grace of God, has been doing many of those same ministries well before any of us were even born. And I found myself, even to the new membership, we just had a new members weekend, 
Well, one of the things I read in the early 1900s, they had a new member day um, uh, once, a, once a year. They'd gather all their new members here in this room. This is in the 1920s. And then they would just, have, and just get to know each other. And then they would follow up. And in the minutes, it would say something like this. For the first year or two, a new member was able to connect with so many other members in the life of First Baptist. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I thought, you know, we've, we've been talking about that today. And yet that was on the mind of the church, you know, over, over time. But it brought me to one key question and one passage that we're looking at today. Again, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, it brought me to this question is, what really matters? What can we do, or what are we doing in the life of First Baptist now that would really matter for eternity? And there were certain things in which we'll look at in this text, certain high spots in the life of this church over the years. And my prayer is that we would cling to what's most important. Because the reality is, one thing that was consistent is there were godly men over the years that were, were senior pastors of the life of this church. But one thing is, every time they would come, they would serve, they would either leave or they would die. We had a few that died where they were serving at First Baptist at, as current serving. And so then it brings, it, it just humbles us to realize ministry will go on. And so as a church now, what are we, what should we be expecting? What should we be wanting and hungering for? Such that by God's grace, if the Lord would tarry for a hundred more years and First Baptist here, what what type of membership body would that be? What are we longing for? And so let's look again at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Verse 16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know, one of these, Paul, in this section from 11 through 16, he's going to unfold this a theme that he is writing to Timothy, and he's preparing Timothy of just how to be and just what to think about when it comes to the local church. Well, verse 16 is a great summary of verses 11 through 16. And so as we look at verse 16, one of the things that is clear is that the salvation of, the so of, of souls is at stake. Again, notice verse 16. You the last of 16 says, by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so that, as you see in your notes, the title of the, this, this message today is the, the Preacher, the Pulpit, and the Promise. What should really matter in the life of this church? What should we as members long for? And what should the elders, what should we as elders be about? That is the question that Paul is urging Timothy and commanding Timothy to instruct to the local church. And so there's four things that, that when we ask the question, what should matter? There's four things that just I want to bring our attention to this morning from this text. Number one, the conduct of the messenger should matter to us. Number two, the content of the message. Three, the continuation of the ministry. And last, we'll look at the confidence we gain from the promise. 
And so let's just think about the first, the first few again. And before we leave verse 16, look again at verse 16. Paul, Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. Both the conduct and the content are both extremely important. And so I find this extremely helpful as we as a church look forward to uh, thinking through and affirming future elder candidates here. As we, again, Lord willing, in the, in the coming weeks, in the coming months, we'll bring different, different men. What are we looking for? What's the filter by which we think through, oh, praise God, yes, let's affirm this gentleman as an elder. Well, Paul, help, Paul tells Timothy, keep a close watch on your life and, your, and on your doctrine. The church, we do this, we do this often. In fact, as I just mentioned, we just recently had a new member weekend. There's two things that we talk about a lot during New Member Weekend. Number one, our church covenant. How we've agreed to conduct ourselves in, as, we are come, as we come together. The second thing is our statement of faith, what we believe. And so those two documents, you'll find those uh, just throughout the history of First Baptist Church, and you'll find them in uh, many churches— they, they go back to 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and watch your doctrine. And so here, Paul is, he says this over and over. There's a passage in Acts when he, Paul on his third missionary journey, as he's traveling, he stops and he asks for the elders of Ephesus to come and join him where he is. It's about 60 miles. He's in Miletus or Miletus, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it as normal in these cities. But anyways, in Miletus, it's about 65 miles away. So he asks the elders of, of, of Ephesus to come. And so this is what he says to them. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the message to the elders was this, pay special attention to yourselves. There are often, we are surrounded here in, around many uh, seminaries, um, schools, universities, where people are coming and they're training and, and, and receiving the education. And that's, uh, that's definitely a good thing. But we must not sacrifice our life for knowledge. We must be extremely concerned for how we live, how we conduct ourselves. What is the conduct of our life? And so Paul says to watch your life and your doctrine closely. So now he shares this, verse 16, I think is a summary of verses 11 through 15. So let's look at what he's summarizing. What does it mean to watch our life? Look, let's look again at verse, the scripture that was read uh, this morning, verse 11 of chapter 4. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. You've noticed, you probably have noticed, we live in a culture that's a, it can be a, easily a self-centered culture. One of the things that, uh, that, that we like to do often is take photos and take pictures. 
I was very close, very close to titling this message, The Selfie of a Soul-Winning Church. I was very close. But then, but then, as I just mentioned, I've been devouring the history of First Baptist, so I thought, you know, that title might have a shelf life. And I didn't want to undermine uh, the message ahead of time, but I think that is a great title, The Selfie of a, uh, a Soul-Winning Church. So think about a selfie. There's different aspects in the selfie that, that help us assess whether it's good or not. I'm learning these things. I'm not great at determining if that's a, good, if that's a keeper, but I'm understanding that lighting is important. Angle is, is very important. What angle are you going to uh, take this picture? Whether everyone's eyes are open, whether everyone's in the picture, and then even, hey, are we smiling? All of these factors, whether we're thinking about it or not, they go into assessing, okay, this is a, I'm going to save it or I'm going to delete this picture. Well, Paul helps Tim, Timothy understand what does it mean to watch our life closely? I love verse 12. I've loved verse 12 for many years. It's, I remember as a young, as a youth, uh, young, a young person in the youth group, this verse stood over us as a, youth, um, as a youth group. We'd meet and we would talk about this verse together. I think it is an excellent verse for a young person to, to think about, all right, these are things that should matter. So they should matter in every, in every walk of our life. Every age. As Christians, these things we should be about. But Paul is also instructing Timothy, Timothy, this is how you should live. And so, First Baptist, there will, be a t- there will be a day if the Lord doesn't return years from now, decades from now, we don't know, there will be a day when this church will gather and ask the question that has been asked without exception when someone leaves or when a pastor dies, what are we looking for? Let's form a group and let's, or let's survey the church and discern what do we want in the next pastor. Listen, when we think about affirming elders here in the life of this church, we want verse 12. Look again. Let me just clo- slowly go through each one of these for, for a moment. This applies to all of us, but I'm going to ask the question as if it, and apply it to elders of this church, Lord, and then, you know, for now in the future. Speech. Again, not merely what words are said, but how they are said, I think is important. Are the words used to build up or tear down? Are words used to express gratitude or grumbling? Are they used carefully or carelessly? Are they used to bless or to curse? You know, we can know a lot about a person by what they say. Luke 6.45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we evaluate our own life, I think it's helpful to think about how do we use our speech? Is it more, does gracious words come out of our mouth, or do we grumble? Okay, let's think about our conduct for a moment. Or let's think about the conduct of, of 
future elders and the conduct of our current elders. And let me tell you, church, not only is it helpful for us to know how we can affirm elders, these are also helpful to know how can we pray for our elders. On the back of, your, of your, the worship guide, it, it lists all of the elders here in the life of First Baptist. Take verse 12 and pray through these qualities for every one of us. So let's think about our conduct. What is the reputation of the elders? Again, the question here is not if the elder sins, but how does he respond when he sins? Is he, is he self-controlled or is he self-centered? Is he well thought of by others or really is he thoughtless of others? Does he live above reproach or does he often bring reproach upon him? These are things, again, just say, Lord, I want to, my conduct, I want to be honoring to you. And then I want to long, I want to pray for the elders such that they are faithful in, in regard to their conduct. Can, they, can he genuinely say, I follow me because I follow the example of Christ? Let's think about our love. What does it mean to be characterized by love? Does he love people? Or does he love the position? Does he seek to love the church? Or does he lord over the church? Is the goal of, inst in, of his instruction to show love? Or is it to show what he has learned? Does he love, if he's married, does he love his wife as his own self? And for all of us, again, whether you're a young person, whether you're in, the, you know, in a professional outside of ministry, whether you're pursuing ministry, I know there's a lot of students here that are long to be pastors or long to be in the ministry or long to be sent overseas. They apply to all of us. But we certainly should never Bring the narrow or lower the bar when it comes to future elders and praying for our current elders. Faith. Does he deeply believe the word of God? If we're applying it to all of us, do, do we walk by faith or do we walk by sight? Do we live a life of conviction or convenience? Will we stand firm on the word of God or shrink back in the fear of man? Are the elders here at First Baptist and our future elders as we have a joy to affirm them, are they committed to imparting truth or is there a pattern of departing from truth? These are just categories to think of. What does it mean? Paul is, we can quickly go through this. Oh, yes. This life, love, faith, doctrine, purity. I think it's helpful to, to just to meditate and examine your own life, for the elders to examine our own life, for us to pray for each other so that we can say, and we can accurately watch our life. Lastly, purity. Do, does he strive for holiness? Is he the same person in public as he is in private? 
Does he take every lustful thought captive, or is he captive by every lustful thought? Does he flee from temptation or justify reasons to run towards it? This is just, again, a great evaluation is to go back to 1 Timothy 4.12 and say, pray just, Lord, I want to be faithful in all of these areas of my life. This is how I can think about whether or not, or this is how I can watch my life closely. And so Paul is urging Timothy, but notice verse 12. I think it's very helpful too, especially. Uh, this, Let no one despise you for your, for, uh, for your youth now. I mentioned, I've been thinking about this verse for a long time. I used to think there, this was more of a proactive, uh, re- reactive response. Like if I... If, if someone kind of looked at me funny because I was young, I almost felt like entitled to say, now listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit younger than I look. So just can back off. You know, don't, let, don't, look, don't, don't look down on me because you're young. But you almost have this idea of, of it can well some pride in our life, especially I thought that as a young person. Like I walked in and like, oh, hey, because I'm young, they need to listen to me. But you... Paul is not giving us pride here. He's, he's actually he has the idea of live in such a way that there's going to be nothing that can, they can say about you. And so the question is not, it's not an, I don't think it's, it's not an active command, but it's more of a thoughtful, a passive command and live in such a way. Biki uh, as the theologian said, the preacher must not only apply himself to his text, but he must apply his text to himself. Well, so that's conduct. What about watch your doctrine? So verse, uh, let's read on. Verse 13. So a church should bear, uh, be concerned about life and doctrine. Verse 13, Paul says, Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. This, friends, this is what we should be about. As as First Baptist Church Durham, we should be about devoting ourselves and having an appetite for the reading of Scripture, for for the preaching and the teaching of Scripture. I love this, this verb, this command of devoting ourselves. We, we, it comes, it communicates this idea of constant determination and going back to, let's, we should never grow weary of devoting ourselves to the Scripture. And so, um, so one thing that should always be a part of any corporate gathering that we have as long as we're gathered together is the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. It is a, it is it's an awesome t- thing to hear the Word of God. And we have the privilege to read the Word of God because we have, it's, we have copies of it like crazy. Every one of us, I would venture to guess, we have more multiple copies, at least accessible. If not on our phone, in our home, we could find copies of Scripture. Paul is, is urging Timothy, Timothy, God's Word is, should be the focal point of the, of the gathering place. You know, we stand, uh, and uh, every time in the service, there's a point, Scripture is read and we stand. But notice, it, 
it's not, regardless if we stand or we sit, because there's also a lot of times we have Scripture read and we're sitting. So it's not necessarily if we stand, whether we stand or whether we sit, but a healthy church is going to be about hearing the Word of God, having it read. Now the reason we stand, Nehemiah 8, 2, 3, there's a pattern here in Nehemiah. It says, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly. Both men and women and all could understand what they heard were there on the first day of the seventh, of the seventh month. As he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The, the reading of the book of the law was common. And then verse 5, Ezra opened the book and cited all the people. As he opened it all, to the, uh, as he opened it, all the people stood. And so later, verse 8, in that same passage of Nehemiah 8, says they read from the book, from the law, clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. So there, there in Nehemiah, so this pattern has been going on in the Old Testament, the pattern of reading the Word of God and of unfolding the Word of God or preaching and teaching. That that is what Paul is urging Timothy to be about, is to be faithful to do this. If, you, if we had time and we'd go through the whole letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, you'll notice several times where doctrine is unfolded. In chapter 3, verse you know, 16, it's probably on the same page of your scripture there, you, um, but there verse 16 Paul says, great indeed, we confess the mystery of godliness, and then he unfolds the fact that God became flesh. Angels acknowledged the deity of Christ, and Jesus was preached among the nations. The world believed that Jesus was God, and Jesus ascended into heaven. There was a common confession that was that the early church, that Paul, that Paul wanted Timothy to make sure that he embraced and, and to make sure he would teach it. But notice, if you look at chapter 4, Paul's also concerned that right doctrine is very important because there will be those in chapter 4 that begin to add things to the gospel. will begin to say, hey, do this and don't do that, that are extra. And Paul's telling Timothy, warning Timothy to, to have nothing to do with that false teaching. And so church, we as a church want to pray that God gives us a hunger for right doctrine. May we not, never be satisfied with anything less than God's Word and God's teaching. And let us just hunger and want that more and more. Remember years ago, it was, it was roughly 20 years ago, we were in a, a, a meeting upstairs in this room, or not, in, in this church building, and we were praying, and there was, there was, a, there was someone that, in the middle of the prayer uh, meeting, prayed a certain prayer or said this. Said, God, help us to remember that we are a modern people and we don't need to do everything it says in the Bible. I still remember that as clearly as it was yesterday. We were all gathered around and there were a couple of us that Obviously, well, no, we stopped praying what we were praying at that moment, connected eye to eye, 
and we started praying for this person. It was a, uh, it was a surprising utterance, but it was a reminder to us there, and it should be a reminder to all of us, that listen, we must constantly be vigilant for this idea of other things creeping in and where we think that the Word of God can be put off to the side. We must ask the Lord to continue to give us a hunger for the Word of God. So look at verse 14 and 15. The idea of persisting is important. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you, uh, so that all may see your progress. So the idea here is Paul is urging Timothy, listen, continue. You've been given a gift. It's been affirmed by elders. We've prayed over you. We've seen the Holy Spirit work at you in this way. He's uniquely gifted you. Now use it. You know, you know, I've mentioned my love of running before, but I've noticed that, that uh, there's several t-shirts. It's not just limited to training, but I've noticed there's this t-shirts for runners sometimes where you, sit, you have run, eat, sleep, and repeat. Well, I think about that. I've liked that, that shirt in the past. I like that message. But if I were designing a shirt for us based on this text— with that kind of idea in mind, it would be live, preach, go, and repeat. Paul is saying, we, Timothy, do this over and over and over again. Live a holy life. Preach a holy word. Share a holy message and repeat. And just do that until I come. And we have a letter today that God has sovereignly is his word to us today to continue to do that here in the life of First Baptist Church. Now, the joy of looking through those documents, there were a lot of five-year vision moments in history over the decades. Five-year visions are, are they're good. They've been helpful. We've, we've shared that even recently with you. It's just, hey, what are we thinking about? But there's one thing that is, should stand over all that is simply the preaching of the Word of God. And I want to just uh, point out the idea of doing it again. Notice again, verse 11. Command and teach these things. It's an ongoing command. Look at verse 13. Until I come. Again, this pattern should continue. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift. Use it. Verse 15, practice this. 16, persist in this. All of those things give this idea of repeating. There was the Durham Morning Herald in 1974, November 16th, 1974. The Durham, Herald, the Durham Morning Herald had an article about the life of First Baptist, and particularly about the, the current pastor of the time, uh, Dick Henderson. In that article, it, it reads that the church was losing money, members, and it was about to dry up. It was a rough time at FBC. But the article says this, the church gambled 
on something. Okay, I was, I was intrigued. What was it that we gambled? We gambled, and this is what it says, to call a gentleman, Dick Henderson, as pastor because he loved preaching and teaching. It wasn't the kind of man a lot of big churches would call. That was in the article in the Durham, it's not the Durham, the Durham Morning Herald, 1974. Let me tell you, I've often, and some of you that know Dick Henderson and had the joy of, of sitting under Dick Henderson, obviously I don't know him as a person. He was, he, he was passed away before I even knew who he existed. But I'm challenged and encouraged by the faithfulness of the few years that he was here to preach the Word of God. That should be the, the standard, the preaching of the Word of God for, the, for a healthy church until Christ comes. But I want to uh, point out something in verse 15 that's also helpful. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So Paul is telling Timothy, so that all may see your progress. So I've got great news for the church, and I've got maybe humbling news for the young seminarian or the young person that's eager for ministry. First, for the young preacher, know that you are not everything that you think you are. You're not going to start off as a Spurgeon or a Davis. You might be like an Andy Wynn, but hey. <laughs> the good news is, too, for the church, that by the grace of God, there is going to be progress. And God will take the faithful, the power of the Spirit, the faithful preaching and teaching of the Word of God, and He will grow the church together, and He will also grow He's, Paul is urging Timothy, he says, people will see your progress. And that just gives me great hope, great encouragement. And so lastly, in verse 16, again, we've already seen this. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hear hearers. The, the evangelistic strategy for the life of First Baptist Church now and Lord willing until Christ comes will be the preaching of the Word of God. And so every time we come together, as, as we're preparing early on Sunday morning, as we're getting ready, as we're coming, pray, Lord, give me an appetite for what I'm about to hear. As we continue to evaluate future elders, as we continue to evaluate each other now, and we just make sure that we are prioritizing the preached Word of God. That is the means of grace by which the Lord is radically saving lives. I love, I love the promise. There's a promise that by this, by watching your life and your doctrine, this is how we're going to continue to grow. This is how we're being saved, and this is how we will be saved, is to hear the the Word of God. And so this morning, as we leave this place, let's pray for each other. Let's pray for the life of this church. Let's please, we, I just thank you for praying for the elders now. And I don't just say that just self, self, selfishly, but we need 
you to pray for us as we pray for you and together to run in the confidence of this promise that when we stick to Scripture, when we go proclaim the Word of God in our everyday life, wherever we go, that is the, that God uses His Word to bring life. God uses the Word to bring salvation. The active, perfect Word of God, the good news that Jesus Christ is God, He lived a perfect life, He died a sacrificial death, that satisfied the wrath of God to, that bore down on the sin, and he rose from the dead to give life to all who believe. That is the glorious gospel that we have. By the grace of God, may we continue to watch our life and our doctrine. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, so thankful for the Word of God. Father, we thank you for the men and women in the life of this church for over 175 years that you have placed here that were hungry for the Word of God. Lord, we thank you for the men that pastored and led this church over the decades, those men that were committed like Dick Henderson, like, I just want to preach the Word of God. Father, we thank you for the three elders back in 1845 that planted this church. And Father, by the grace of God, we thank you for the, the 12 elders now that are humbly seeking to invest our life and your word into the lives of this church. We pray for, all, I pray for all of us. Lord, that as we look at verse 12 and as we evaluate our life in light of verse 12, and then as we look at verse 13 and evaluate our hunger, our appetite, asking ourselves, do we really long for the Word of God? Do I want the preaching of the Word of God like it should be? Lord, as we evaluate our lives, we just, I just pray that you would graciously give us a greater love for you and a greater desire to live for you. I pray that we would love each other more than we do. I pray that we would care about each other. And Father, I pray as we go and share the message of the gospel, I pray that you'd give us a burden for the loss and a conviction that your word changes lives. So we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this church. By the grace of God, we pray that we'd be faithful now and centuries to come should you leave this church here for that long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.